Give it up for our tech team. They're pretty amazing, right? They, 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 were, they were on it right there. Let's all stand, if you would, open your Bibles to the book of Romans. And I did. I did get a little choked up, you know. Um, being a dad is a special, special privilege. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I, I talked on Mother's Day, and I, I talked about how, you know, moms get to experience something that dads may Never experience, I'm okay with that, not experiencing pregnancy and birth and all that other stuff. Ladies, I love you and I appreciate you. Um, but being a dad is, is special. It's a special, special thing that God privileges, gives us the privilege to share. I mean, think about it as a dad, to share the title as father. He's our heavenly father and we get to share that title and um, express that love and, and affection towards our kids. And so... It is a great privilege. So, Dad, you need to know that you matter. You matter more than you realize, and I'm grateful for each and every one of you that are here today. And so we are in the book of Romans, chapter 10, and we want to turn to um, or look at verse 14. When you got it, say so. <clears throat> and it says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful and are, are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say... Did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But, but to Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Um, God, thank you so much for being our father, and thank you for allowing every father in this place, Lord, to be here today. Um, for those dads that will be hearing us online, God, thank you for them as well. And Lord, this morning we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church, and we ask, God, that you would remove every distraction from our minds, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' good name, and everyone said... Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Uh, if you don't have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will get you an outline. want to be sure that you're able to follow along um, in the introduction of the sermon. and want to be sure that you're able to take some notes. Um, so just keep your hand up and the ushers will um, get you one. I uh, want to make sure that everyone's able to do that. And as always, I encourage you, um, sharing your faith with someone else is very, very important. Uh, we want to be sure that you're able to uh, grow in your faith and also help someone else grow in their faith. And so we are continuing in our Foundations of Faith series, and today we're going to be speaking on gospel rejection, gospel rejection. So last week we dealt with the first half of Romans chapter 10. And remember, uh, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 are very special in the book of Romans because they deal specifically with God's dealings with Israel. And so in chapter 10, um, God is speaking through the apostle Paul about God's present dealing with Israel and what God is doing with 
with Israel and what's going on. And we just want to realize that obviously God is not done with Israel. And next week when we get into chapter 11, we'll see that more specifically. But this week we're dealing with them and gospel rejection. And I think as a dad, when I think about being a father, if you look at your outline there, one of the saddest things to see um, someone reject something that is good, good for them to hold on to something that is bad for them, right? Like as a dad, as a mom, as a person that cares about other people, when you see somebody who rejects, right, someone who is rejecting something good to hold on to something bad, that has to be the saddest thing ever um, to see someone do that, that they choose the wrong over the right. And sadly, this characterizes much of our culture today. Um, and Israel throughout their history and specifically at the time that this was written. Um, one of the things that we see in our days is that in our days we see people celebrating evil as good. People holding on to things that are bad for them, that are bad for our culture, that are fighting for things that do not bring glory and honor to God to their detriment, right? Instead of them holding on to who God is, instead of them holding on to what God's truth is, especially when it comes to the gospel. I remind you of the statistic that I shared with you in 2018, there was a poll that was done among those between the ages of 17 and 35, between the ages of 17 and 35. So just to poll the room, how many of you are between the ages of 17 and 35? Raise your hand. You're between the age 17 and 35. Okay. So for all of you that, that raise your hand right now, this is what happened. In your age group, what they did was they did a statistic. And in this poll, they polled these, this age group and they asked them if they believed that the Bible was true. And 85% of them said that there was enough proof to believe that the Bible is accurate. However, the reason why they don't want to be Christian is because they don't want anybody to tell them what to do morally. So what are they doing? They're rejecting what they know to be true for what they want to do. They're rejecting what they know to be right. In other words, they need a savior. They need deliverance. They need to be changed by this gospel. They need to receive Christ as savior. They are rejecting that to their detriment because what? Because they want to have fun. Because they want to do what they want to do. Because they want to enjoy their life. They want to live how they want to live. And so I want you to think about this this morning. The gospel will be rejected. Our responsibility is to, is to faithfully share it and respond to it. The gospel will be rejected. Right? That's a reality that's going to happen. People are going to reject the gospel. No matter how, how, how we pretty it up, no matter how, you know, no matter what, people are going to reject the gospel. Our job and our responsibility is to faithfully share it and respond to it. And so in one side, it's us being faithful to share the gospel, sharing with coworkers, sharing with neighbors, sharing with family members, sharing with friends, sharing with them the truth of the gospel. That is our responsibility. And then the other side of it is for us to respond to it. And so one, if you're a believer in here today, you are called to continue to respond to the gospel, to hear the gospel, to preach the gospel to yourself, to remind yourself of what Jesus did for you. And as a result of what Jesus has done for you, you are now a new creation. Therefore, you cannot live the way that you want to live because you now are a person who has been born again, who has been given new life. And so now you do what? You live for the glory of God. You are not trying to... Um, earn salvation, but you are living from the place of salvation. That's what it means to respond as a believer, to constantly be reminded. You know what, this morning it was funny, I, I, I think um, Jonathan was in the office and we were talking about something, and he said to me, he said, man, I feel like a failure this morning, and I said to him, yeah, we're all failures, that's why Jesus had to die. We're 
all failures. If, if any of us, if there was one of us who wasn't a failure, guess what? Jesus doesn't have to die. Jesus doesn't have to go to the cross. If one person was not a failure, if one person could live perfectly, if one person could do exactly all the time, every time, what God expects and what God requires, Jesus doesn't have to die. And so we are to be faithful to respond to it. But then we are also to be faithful to share it. No matter how many people reject it, no matter what people say, no matter how people feel, we are to be faithful in sharing the gospel. Now, listen, let me say this really quick because I think that this is important when I say that. A lot of you are sitting here and you're thinking to myself or to yourself, you're like, you know what? I've shared the gospel with my friends. I've shared the gospel with my coworkers. I've shared the gospel and they haven't responded. They've rejected it. Am I supposed to continue to try to shove it down their throat? Am I supposed to continue to try to beat it into them. And I'm going to tell you, no, that is not what you're supposed to do. You continue to share the gospel by living for the glory of God. You continue to share the gospel by not lowering your standards no matter what they do. You continue to share the gospel in those moments and in those opportunities when they are looking for an answer outside of Jesus. You know what you do? You bring them back to Jesus because the reality is there is no answers outside of Christ, right? There's no, he is the answer when it comes to salvation. He is the answer. You, listen, God is not going to give you a perfect life, but life is always better when you walk with Jesus. And so the reality that we have is that we are called to do what? Know that the gospel is going to be rejected. we got to be faithful to share it, and we have to be faithful to respond to it. And so the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me this morning is say, no matter the response of men, the gospel is good news. No matter the response of men, the gospel is good news. No matter what people say, the gospel is good news. And so what is the Apostle Paul doing? He is continuing in his logical argument. Remember what we've been saying about the book of Romans. It is a logical book, right? The Apostle Paul is logically arguing certain points as he walks through this book. Predominantly, that salvation is by faith. Like if you could sum it up, right? It is, it, it is that, that salvation is by faith. And what Jesus has done, is, and, and what, what Paul is doing here, is he's continuing in the argument that he began at the beginning of chapter 10. We started talking about Israel's present condition, that they had heard the gospel and they had, they, had, they had these certain understandings that they should have had, and yet they were zealous for God, but they did it without knowledge. They were, they were passionate for God, but their passion was not rooted in the knowledge of God. And so what is he doing? He's presenting this logical argument as to why Israel is in the state that they are in. That's the question. Why is Israel, again, remember, we got to stay in the context. This is one of the hardest things for me to do when it comes to this portion of Scripture because this portion of Scripture, we, we know this part of the Bible, especially that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. Those are the ways that people get saved. And so it's easy for us to move outside of the context of what Paul is writing and forget about who he's talking to specifically. But Paul here is arguing a point. He's, he's speaking to that person who is sitting there who is a Jewish person saying, man, we are the chosen people of God. We had all of these things. Why is it then that we seem to have rejected God? If this really is the Messiah, the people, I mean, I mean the children of Israel, they would never reject their Messiah. That's the argument, right? The argument is they would never deny scripture. I mean, think about Jesus when he was walking and he was interacting and he was having conversations with Pharisees and, and, they, and they would be like, wait a second, but we're children of Abraham. And he's like, yeah, but if you were Abraham's children, you want to hear from me. Hello. 
You'd listen to my words, but you're not children of Abraham. You're children of the devil. That's what Jesus is communicating to these folks because they were rejecting their Messiah, the one who had been prophesied about. And as we'll see as we continue to look here, we're going to see what Paul is saying. And so when we look at all of the things that we just read as we walk through this, I want you to realize that the questions that Paul poses, especially in verse 14, they are connected with the words calling, the word believe, the word preached. They're connected with the words calling, the words preached, the words believe. This is what Paul is asking of them. And the real question is this, why haven't they called on the Lord? Why hasn't Israel called on the Lord? Why haven't they responded to the Lord? Why haven't they called on him for salvation? If they, if they have all of these blessings and all of this knowledge and all of this, why have they not called? And so Paul goes on to argue this. So look at what he says in verse 14. He says, how then? Shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in, in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? Now, I want you to notice his questions, right? He's walking through this logical questioning. So the first one is what? How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? So the first thing is this. If you don't believe in Jesus, guess what you're not going to do? You ain't calling on him. You're not going to call on Jesus if you don't believe in him. And, this, and listen, I want you to hear this. This is a universal principle. This, even though in the context here we're talking about Israel, there is a universal reality that if someone does not believe in Jesus, they are not going to call on him. And so Paul goes on to say the next part of the question. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And so Paul is he's saying, he said, if they don't hear, then they can't believe. And so he's, he's walking back. He's saying, well, maybe they haven't heard. Maybe that's the issue, right? Some of us can think, well, maybe the reason why people haven't called on Jesus is because they haven't heard. That's true. Some people have not called on Jesus because they have not heard. That's not the case here, though, with Israel. And he goes on to say the next thing. And how shall they hear without a preacher? As though nobody has proclaimed this truth to them. And so Paul, again, is walking back and he's saying, wait a second, they don't believe, they, they haven't called because they haven't believed, they can't believe because they haven't heard, they haven't, they, they haven't heard because there's not a preacher. Maybe, maybe, maybe that is what the, you know, the argument is. And so he's presenting what the potential arguments could be. And then he goes on to say, lastly, and he says, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? And he goes on, he quotes this scripture from the book of Isaiah, and it says this, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things and so and, and so what he's doing here is he is quoting Isaiah and he's quoting Nahum those are the two prophets who you can find this particular writing how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace and who bring glad tidings and what you're going to see here is that what is that Israel has been called they just haven't called on the Lord and they haven't called on the Lord because they don't believe, but their belief is not because they haven't had a preacher. We're going to see that God has for sure communicated to them. And so what does this verse mean? Let's just think about this verse for a second. I want you to think about wartime, and I want you to think about the watchman who's in the city, and he's there, and all of the armies of God have gone out. And now there's a wall, and there is a, there is a watchman who is on the wall of the city, and he is looking out, and all his, all his job is is to see when the messenger comes, to bring, to bring up a, a report of what's going on in the war. And this is the picture of the person of how beautiful are the feet of those who are bringing good tidings. The one who is coming back from war and saying, we have won. We have the victory. That's a beautiful picture. When you have someone coming with their head down or even worse, you see them coming back under captivity, then there's a problem. 
But when you see that one that is running back and he is coming to bring the good tidings, then that is an exciting thing. And that is the picture that Isaiah is painting for the children of Israel. Why? Because here's what happened to them. Just to give you a little bit of history for them. They trusted in the people of Egypt once again. And when they trusted in Egypt during their time while Isaiah is prophesying, when they trusted in Egypt for their deliverance rather than trusting in the Lord, what happened was Assyria was the powerhouse kingdom at that time. And Assyria comes down and they defeat Egypt. And guess who gets defeated in the, in the, in the whole time there as well? It's the children of Israel. So now they come into captivity under Assyria and they feel like, man, God has forgotten about us. That's what they're thinking. You ever felt like God forgot about you? You ever been in a situation in your life, you're like, yo, where's God right now? Like, why, why is God not answering? Why is God not here? And then you start to search and start thinking about, well, maybe I did this. And some, some, some of us don't even search that. But Israel was in this place. And you know why they were in this place under the bondage of Assyria? It is because Israel continued to rebel and continued to reject the Lord. And so Isaiah is preaching these words, and he's preaching this from Isaiah 52. That's these words are recorded. And so Isaiah 52, if you, if you read it, what you're going to find there is that Isaiah 52 is, is bringing you into what is, what, is gonna, what is going to be Isaiah 53, which is the last part of the servant song that has been sung. There's been four of them that have been sung in the book of Isaiah. And what, and what the servant songs have been doing is they have been pointing to the coming Messiah. They've been pointing to the suffering servant. And in chapter 53 of the book of Isaiah, we read it every Sunday when we do communion. And we talk about the one who was led like a sheep to his shearers is silent. That whole portion of scripture, he bore our sin, he bore our iniquities. It's speaking about that. And what, and, and what the, the writer Isaiah is doing is he is saying this. He is saying, listen, your bondage is about to be over. Your bondage under Assyria is about to be completed. I'm about to bring you deliverance. And then you know what Paul does? Paul goes on ahead and he quotes it in the New Testament to bring the application to what? To bring the application to the Messiah. Because any bondage that you see under the Old Covenant and in the Old Testament, you know what that represents? That represents our bondage to sin. That represents us being outside of Christ. That represents us being not in a relationship with God because of our sin that has separated us from him. Him. And so Paul comes here and he's saying, listen, you have heard this gospel being proclaimed. This gospel has been communicated unto you. And again, I want to say this. This is a universal principle. God is offering salvation. The gospel is being proclaimed. And you and I must be sure that we do not allow the culture to silence us. We must be sure that we do not let the enemy silence us into believing that the gospel is bad news. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The gospel is always good news. It doesn't mean that it's always welcomed. Are you here? It doesn't mean everybody wants to hear it. That, that, that's not the same thing. Good news is good news no matter what, no matter how people respond to it. The fact of the matter is, is that the gospel is good news. And you and I have been given this great responsibility to do what? To share this gospel. To share this good news. But here's the question. Do you really believe it's good news? Do you really believe it's good news? Do you really believe the message that you have is good news? Think about it. Do you really believe, like, when, like, like think about this. When you wake up in the morning, when, you, when, when you're preparing for your day, are you thinking about this gospel that you have? Man, I have the good news. 
I have this good news to bring deliverance to lives. You see, I know for me, the gospel was good news. It wasn't always news I wanted to hear. Are you here? It wasn't always news I wanted to hear. It wasn't always something that I wanted to respond to. However, the gospel was good news. And one day, that good news sunk in my heart and delivered me from my sin. One day, that good news take root, took root in my heart and pulled me out of the darkness and the bondage that I was in. And now I can say, even though I didn't want to hear about Jesus, I've told you all my story. When I was sitting in my room there, or I was in my mom's room actually, and I had just, I had just come home. I told her I was out getting high and all messed up. And she says to me, well, we're here. Let's read from the word. And I was like, nope, I'm out of here. You know why? Because I didn't want to hear nothing about God at that time. I was messed up. I knew my relationship with God wasn't existent. I knew I was in rebellion against God. God. I didn't want to serve him, but it was at that moment that God began to grip my heart and God began to speak to me and draw me into his relationship with him. And so all of this time, the gospel, the word of God was bad news to me, but it was still God's good news for me. Do we believe that? Because we have to believe that. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say one of the greatest obstacles to saving faith is the lordship of Jesus. One of the greatest op- obstacles to saving faith is the lordship of Jesus. I remember sitting in a detention center, and I, and, and, and I was, I was um, sitting there. When, you know, when you're incarcerated or whatever, you don't really have a lot of things to do. And so anything you can do, you do. And one of them was going to church. So I was like, I didn't go to church when I wasn't when I was out. But, hey, I want to get out of this pod. So I, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go to church. So church in there was a little bit different. It wasn't like here, you didn't come in here that, for that particular um, call out. It wasn't for a worship time and all that kind of stuff. What it was, church was, you went and you sat down at a table with one other person. And that other person began to share whatever Bible story or whatever they wanted to share with you. And I remember sitting down with this um, cute old little Baptist lady. And I remember sitting down having a conversation with her, and she was asking me questions. That's all she did the whole time. She was like, so, um, you know, she's finding out what I believed and what I knew about the Bible. And I remember her talking to me, and she was like, so, you know, what about this? And she would ask me a question, and I would answer because, you know, I had some foundation in church, and so I knew some of the scripture. I was part of that group. I, you know, I was, I was part of that statistic in 2018. It was just way before 2018. I knew, I, I knew what the Bible said, and I didn't necessarily doubt it or anything like that. I just wanted to live my own life. And I remember sitting down there and having this conversation with her. And at the end of the conversation, at the end of the 30 minutes, she said to me, she's like, so you know all of these things. And she's like, so what hinders you from giving your life to Jesus? And I told her flat out, I said, I know if I give my life to Jesus, I can't keep having sex. I can't keep getting high. I can't keep doing the things that I want to do. And so, you know, the good, the good woman that she was, right, she said to me, she's like, look, God is not asking you any of that stuff, and I would disagree with her today, but at that moment, she said, what God is asking you to do is to put your faith in him, and he'll do the rest. And I was like, okay, that's easy enough. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to change anything. I don't have to turn from anything. All I got to do is say a prayer, right? That's all I got to do to save me. I want you to know that that is nowhere in our Bibles where it just says just say some prayer, and then that's the end of it. Like there is, there is, there has to be, when you confess, again, we looked at up, up here earlier on in chapter 10, where it says clearly in verse 9, if you look at verse 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, right, the Lord, remember we talked about that. If you confess with your mouth, this is about lordship. I said it last week. There is no such thing as salvation without lordship. If Jesus is not Lord, Jesus will not be Savior. This is Old Testament to New Testament. 
You're not just going to get a get-out-of-jail-free card and just come to God and be a hypocrite all your life. Well, I said a prayer, I go to church, and so I can go ahead and I can live how I want to live. And you know what? Because I made a prayer one day, because I believe the fundamentals. Of, listen, when you really believe the fundamentals of the faith, you understand God is not going to say, hey, you live how you want to live. Do what you want to do. God saves you not because of the things you do. He saves you from the things that you want to do. It's what he does. He delivers us from our sin. The biggest, one of the greatest obstacles, I already shared the statistic with you, is the, the lordship of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice this just so you can see the Bible affirms this. Look at verse 16. It says this. It says, but they have not all believed the gospel. Does it say that? It doesn't say believe, right? It says obey. That's what it should say. It says obeyed. It's a different word. Not believed. It's about obeyed. They have not all obeyed the gospel. That is so very important for us to grasp because Paul doesn't say they haven't all believed. This word literally means to hear under authority. It can be seen as surrendered belief. It can be seen as active faith. They haven't all heard and believed and obeyed. They haven't all heard and responded in obedience because, again, the Jewish mind understands clearly, if I serve God, if I serve Jehovah, he has certain standards, I have to live his way. If I decide to submit to Jesus, I have to live his way. I've got to trust him for my salvation. I can't trust myself for my own salvation. It says there, but, but they have not all obeyed. And where is he quoting from? He's quoting from Isaiah 53. He says this, Lord, who has believed our report? Remember what I just said about Isaiah 52? It was starting off the servant song, the last one. Isaiah 53, verse 1, it says this, Lord, who has believed our report? Who has believed our report? Isaiah is saying, look, man, who's believed us? Who's believed our proclamation of good news? Who's believed that you're going to deliver, deliver them? Who has believed? He's asking a rhetorical question because people are rejecting. You know, I just finished doing this class in the major prophets. And in this class, the one thing that, that I noticed about Isaiah, because I was writing my, I did my, one, one of my research papers on Isaiah chapter 6. And in studying out Isaiah chapter 6 and going through when God calls Isaiah, the one thing that I noticed, and if you read it, don't do it now, please. But when you go and you sit down and you read Isaiah 6, you're going to notice something that is so crazy. And it is that God literally says your ministry is going to be to harden their hearts. That's what God literally says to Isaiah. He literally tells Isaiah, I, I would hate to be Isaiah. Let me just let you know right now, because I really want you to listen and obey. Like, that, like, like I, I don't want to just preach just to preach. I want, I want you to listen and obey. And you know what God told Isaiah in the beginning of his ministry? You're going to preach, they're not going to listen. How about that for encouragement? Day one, calling into ministry. You're going to preach, they're not going to obey. You're going to preach, they're going to rebel. You're going to preach, they're not going to believe. Why would God say that to him? Because the children of Israel had earned God's judgment. Remember we talked about that judicial hardening? That's what this is all about. They had earned God's judgment. They had been in rebellion against God. And so God was going to give them a voice and give them a witness and going to bring them or bring them the word so they're going to be without excuse. And yet their hearts are going to be hard. They're going to be rebellious. And what Paul is doing here is he's simply saying it's the same thing. Lord, who's believed our report? They've heard. They've had preachers. They, they have heard the word of God. He goes on to say in verse 17, he says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so what is, what, what, is, what is Paul telling us here? We know this. Israel had access to the very word of God that brings faith when hearing, and they rejected it. Paul says it. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
And so for us, we realize that there was a rejection of the gospel. What is our memory verse? We know that we are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It is, listen, it is the preaching of the gospel that enables anyone to be saved. It's not telling them about feeling good. It's not giving them positive thoughts. It's not, it's not none of that mess. It is the gospel that gives us the power, right, the ability to believe for salvation to all who believe, right, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And so on a practical level, let me give you some practical application for you if you're a person. I don't know. I was going to, I won't do a poll here right now, but I'm sure that some of us have struggled with doubt in our lives. Some of us have struggled with not having a strong enough faith, maybe, in certain areas of our lives. And here's three things I just want to say to you really quickly. First of all, if you want your faith to increase, here's what needs to happen. You must be hearing the authoritative word of God. You must be spending time in God's word. You must be spending time before the Lord, hearing from him speaking to you if you want your faith to grow. If you want your faith to grow the same way that Israel needed to be hearing the word of God, the way God communicated. You know what Israel's biggest problem was at this time? They were so bound in their traditions, they were rejecting the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it was. You look at Jesus, they were rejecting the word of God for their traditions. If you go, you read the Gospels, and Jesus makes it crystal clear that they were rejecting what God's word said for the traditions of men. That was a problem. And they were not able to hear God because they were making their, their traditions higher than God's word. That's, that, that's an issue. So the first thing is, if you want your faith to grow, you need to be hearing God's word. The second thing, you must guard against listening to doubtful messengers. Listen, we all have friends that doubt. We all have people that doubt in our lives. Don't be listening to people that are filled with doubts. And all they're doing when they're talking, especially if they call themselves preachers, all they're doing is talking about their doubts. That's problematic. Hello. That's an issue. You can't listen to people like that. And the third thing is that you must be sure that you're not listening to voices of those living in opposition to the faith. Now, listen, I know a few weeks ago I've quoted a couple of atheists, not because I think anything great of them. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to atheists because I have questions about Jesus. That's not why I'm going there. I'm going to atheists so I can answer their questions about Jesus, so I can know what questions they have, and I can refute them, and I can deal with them. Listen, if you are struggling with doubts about Jesus, don't listen to a bunch of atheists that have the same doubts as you do. Hello. Listen to the word of God. Sit down with people who have already asked and answered those questions. They're there. They don't want to hear them. They're there. There's plenty of people who were atheists before they came to Jesus. Lee Strobel is one of them. He wrote a case for Christ, a case for Christmas, a case for Christianity. He's got a case for everything. I think the guy was a lawyer at some point, if I'm not mistaken. And so he writes everything like a lawyer. That's what he does. He's like, let me present the case, right? Let me present the facts to you. Let me show you. The guy got saved. You know how he got saved? He got saved because his wife became a Christian. And he was like, I can't stand this woman being a Christian. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read her Bible. I'm going to disprove her God I'm going to pull away from this Jesus guess what God said I got you now and now he is a defender of the faith because of what because he had serious doubts and he looked for real answers the problem with the atheists of our day is they're rejecting all of the real answers. They want to sound smarter than they really are. They want to act like they have some knowledge that they don't. The reality is what? Don't listen to them if you're struggling with doubt. Sit down with me. Sit down with one of the leaders. Sit down with somebody who is godly in our church, who knows their Bible. Sit down with them and have some conversations. Ask them the tough questions and, let, and, and grow in your faith. Don't let your faith um, continue to, or don't let your doubt continue to grow. 
I've always said this, whatever you feed will grow, whatever you starve will die. If you starve your doubts, they will die. But don't just starve your doubts and not feed your faith. Feed your faith. The same thing happens the other way around. If you feed your faith, right, if you starve your faith and you feed your doubts, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to become an atheist. Hello. And you may be what I call Christian atheists. You still come to church. You're still in the building. You might sing the songs half-heartedly. Nonetheless, you sing them out of respect. You may have a reason to be there, but you really don't believe this Bible. What does he go on to say? Verse 18. He says, but I say, have they not heard? This is what Paul says. Remember what I said earlier. It isn't that they haven't heard. This is what he says. Look what he quotes. He says, yes, indeed. And he said this, he quotes Psalm 19. He says, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. And so long for a long time, you know what I thought this was talking about? What I thought this was talking about? I thought that this was talking about like preachers. I thought that this was talking about messengers or something like that. But when you go back and you can write it down, when you go back and you read Psalm 19, you know what it's talking about? It's talking about creation. It's talking about creation speaking. Right? It's talking about how all of creation communicates the wonders of God. What is he doing? He's pointing us back to what he said in Romans 1, that the invisible attributes of God are seen in creation. And so Paul is arguing. He's saying, listen, he said, these people have heard the sound like everybody. And so here's what's happening. Now, again, let's go back to the Jewish person who's sitting there. The Jewish person is sitting there. You know, they're thinking, oh, yeah. Everybody is without excuse because that's what Paul is trying to say. Psalm 19, the idea is that just as creation declares the glory of God to all men, leaving them without excuse, check this out. This is why Paul does this. It's a setup. Because what he's saying is, again, he's presenting a case, and he's making it logical for them. He's saying, listen, you know that all of creation has heard this. And you would say yes and amen. There is nobody who's without excuse because they have seen what creation communicates. They've seen what creation is saying here. But this is what he was trying to say. The same way that creation has communicated all these things, we're going to see these in, the next few, in these next few verses and is without excuse. So the Jews have no excuse having the Old Testament words, having Jesus himself, and having the Apostle Paul declaring the glory of God in the gospel. This is what happened. The same way that creation is declaring the wonders of God and nobody has an excuse to say there is no God. Now listen, this is talking about what we know as general revelation. This is not specific revelation. This is not the gospel. The gospel is a specific revelation. Here's what we know. What we know is that everybody has access to this general revelation of God. Everybody has access to that general revelation of who God is through creation. But specific revelation, gospel revelation, that comes through the proclamation of the word. And so he goes on to say this. And say this with me before we look at the next few verses. God's judgments are wrapped up in God's mercies. God's judgments are wrapped up in God's mercy. And so what Paul goes on to say is he says, all of creation has declared this. And then in verse 19, he says this. He says, but I say, did Israel not know? Remember, they have knowledge. They knew about this. He says, first Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. So what is he quoting here? He's quoting Deuteronomy 32. This is a song of Moses. And what Moses is doing in, song, in, in, in this song, in this portion, he is prophesying to them about their future and letting them know that there is going to come a day that jealousy is going to grip your hearts. And it's going to be through a people who are not a people. When I read this verse, you know, 
what it made me think about? Y'all remember the story of the prodigal son? So you remember what happened with him, right? The prodigal son goes out, and he goes and he tells the dad, I want my inheritance. He leaves, and when he leaves, he, he squanders it all. He wastes it all. He's over there eating pig or, you know, pig slop, and he's like, man, these pigs are eating better than I would. And you know what? I got to go back home. When he goes back home, he does, he, we see something amazing happen, right? This dad runs to him, covers him, right? And, and you, you, don't, you and I may not grasp, like, the gravity of that, but what this dad was literally doing was he was going and saving his son from potentially being stoned. Because this son had disrespect. That's a disrespect. You take your inheritance, you leave, you don't wait for your dad to die. You're like saying, you know what, dad? I'm not even going to be with you. I'm not going to take care of you in your old age. I'm not going to be there for you in any way. You know what? I'm out. He doesn't just leave. He's not coming back with like, hey, I made some money, dad. I want to add to the inheritance. No, no, no. He's coming back straight broke. And you know what dad does? Dad graciously, the greatest picture that we have in the gospel of how God saves us. He runs to us. He embraces us with his love. He shows us his mercy. And the father brings the son home. He makes this great meal for him. Not only, this is how awesome God is in the gospel. Not only does God embrace us in his mercy, but God gives us things by grace. He makes this meal and this feast and shows him, son, I love you. And then you know what happens? The older brother comes home and is like, yo, what's going on here? Dad is like, yo, your younger brother came home. He's like, Pfft. But why, why are you throwing him a party? Like, what about me? Like, I stood there. You know what that was? Jealousy. The same picture that we see there in the prodigal son's story, the father tells him, hey, everything I have is yours. Your brother was dead. He's now alive. He was dead. Now he's alive. Rejoice in that. You know what the brother did? Did the brother come inside and hang out? No, he didn't. He stood outside angry, upset, hungry too, because you know he was hungry. You know, he probably came home, he was ready to eat, right, and he just smelled the food. He's sitting outside just angry. Hangry, glory to God. That's what his issue was. He was really hungry, and it just added insult to injury, like, yo, what's up, man? I want to, you know. The reality that we have here is God is speaking to Israel way back in the day through Moses. And you know what Paul is saying? Paul is saying exactly what Moses said way back when. Y'all know Moses, right? Y'all know him. That's what he's saying to them. Y'all know Moses. Remember him? The one you all quote all the time? You know, you know these verses here, right? These, these things that Moses said, that's what's happening right now. The Gentiles, see, we rejoice in this. The Gentiles are being saved, and now you're jealous. Now you're hating because what? Because God is showing what? He's showing that he's included the Gentiles. He prophesied this. Israel knew this. This isn't new information. Let's go on and look what he says in verse 20. Verse 20 says, but Isaiah is very bold, and he says what? I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. Now, here's another thing that you're going to think. What you and I are going to think right away, and I do this automatically, is I think that this verse is talking about Gentiles. This verse is not talking about Gentiles. This is a quote from the book of Isaiah. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, look, this is, this is Isaiah who is praying for the children of Israel who have been in rebellion against God. And this is, this is the response that Isaiah is getting, is that I was found by those who did not seek me. Who didn't seek him? Israel. You didn't seek me. And yet you were found by me because of my mercy. He goes on to say, I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. Hold on a second. He's talking about Israel. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, you might be jealous of these Gentiles. Guess what? You're just like them. You're just like them. 
You don't seek me. You don't pursue me. You don't ask for me, but I reveal myself to you. Again, God what? God's judgments are wrapped up in his mercy. Verse 21, this one is terrible for them. All day long, Isaiah says this, all day long. At the end of Isaiah's ministry, this is like Isaiah, he's like an old man now. He's like, glory to God, I'm about to die. He's like, for all these years, I've been prophesying to these crazy people, right? I remember my great-grandmother, I used to go see her, and, you know, before she passed away, and for like 10 years, I would go see her. My great-grandmother was 90-something when she died, and I remember for like the last 20 years of her life, she didn't want to be here. She was like, I want to be home already, and I remember going to see her, and every time i say, Grandma, you know, and I, you know, I would talk to her in Spanish. I don't talk Spanish, I'm not going to do now, but anyway, I would ask her, you know, how are you doing? And she'd be like, well, the Lord still has me here. <laughs> That was her response every time, every time without fail. Well, the Lord still has me here. I don't know why he still has me here, so I'm here. <laughs> I feel like Isaiah felt the same way. After years and years of prophesying to these hard, stiff-necked, rebellious people, he comes to the end of his ministry, and this is what he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. All day long. This is genuine. This is God communicating all day long. I've stretched out my hand to these people. All day long, I've offered them mercy. All day long. Read, go read the book of Isaiah. It'll take you a little bit of time, but read through it and look and see how God is communicating to them, trying to show them mercy. They continue to rebel. Read the history in the book of, in, in the book of 2 Kings, I think it is, and Chronicles. Read through that history along with the book of Isaiah and look at how the children of Israel were acting. Throughout the whole time Isaiah is prophesying, all day long, I have stretched out my hands. I have been there extending my hands of mercy to a disobedient and contrary people. This to me is the greatest of all condemnations for those who rebel against God. It is his unrelenting mercy. Hear me when I say this. Our rebellion towards God doesn't stop him from extending us mercy and by grace offering us forgiveness of sin through the gospel. Again, it's good news. Our nation, all day long. To my life, all day long, he was stretching out his hands to a rebellious and contrary person. He continues to do that. And so my closing question is this, what is your relationship to the gospel? What is your relationship to the gospel? Have you submitted your heart to the Lord and Savior Jesus? Have you put your faith in him all day long? His arms are extended to you, showing you mercy, showing you grace, saying I love you, saying I died for you, saying I shed my blood for you. Are you surrendered to him? Have you submitted your life to him? If you say yes, praise the Lord. If you say no, today's the day of salvation. Today is the day that God calls you into a relationship with him. Put your faith in him. Call upon him today. Cry out to him today. As I pray, you cry out to the Lord. And if you make that commitment to Christ today, when you come and shake my hand in the back there, let me know because I want to get you plugged in to a discipleship so you can start walking with Jesus because it is not about a one-moment thing. It is about walking with Christ. And if you said yes, I've already put my faith in Jesus. My question is, are you faithfully sharing the gospel and are you faithfully responding to the gospel? And if you say no to either one of those, God calls you to repent today. And again, he stretches out his hands towards you in love. Let's all stand on our feet and let's pray. Father, today we humble our hearts before you, thanking you so much for the greatness 
of your grace, thanking you so much for your love, for your mercy, and for your kindness. And God, I pray for those in this place that heard me, for those that are online that heard me, that heard you call them, Lord God. May they respond to you. May they respond to you, God. May they not leave this place. May they not turn off this podcast. May they not walk away, Lord God, without trusting in you today. You are the Savior. You are the Lord. And so, God, bring deliverance, bring healing, and help us as your sons and as your daughters to proclaim this good news every opportunity we get to every person that we encounter. And may we be faithful to believe, Lord God, what you say about us in it. Lord, we thank you for this, and we pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Come on and give God a hand of praise.